And now. And now, introducing the one, the only. Now let me introduce to you. Lively talk with successful people, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show. All right, all right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Jenna Ben Show. I'm your host, Jenna Benemy, and with us today, guys, I have a very special guest. Now, he's my first journalist on the show, but he's kind of an, an OG in the field of combat sports and MMA in particular. Welcome, Brett Okamoto. Hey, Jenna. How are you? I'm so good. How are you doing? Um, Yeah, hanging in there. Hanging in there. You know, I mean, uh, obviously everyone knows what's going on in the world and I wish I was uh, out doing things like everybody else does, but all things considered, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Well, you did a little something last night. Why don't you share with the listeners? <laughs> totally putting him on blast right now. Oh, geez. We're going to, we're going to go there right now, huh? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, well, I, I have been practicing, you know, I mean, not even social distancing, just full on quarantining for, you know, a while. I, I think I was, I mean, I was kind of, I, I committed pretty early on, you know, before, like, before the states were basically telling you, you had to, I was, I was kind of doing it on my own and, um, it's been, it's been all right. Um, but, uh, there's a local radio show here in Vegas, uh, ESPN radio. And the two guys who do the show in the afternoon are pretty good friends of mine. one of them, Adam Hill actually covers UFC. The other one, Steve Cofield used to cover UFC years ago. So I've known these guys for a long time and I've been on their show a few times and they, uh, they haven't been doing it from the, uh, studio. Obviously they've been doing it from Steve's backyard. And nice. And they, uh, they invited me on and they're like, look, um, you know, we promise we're, we're, uh, we're doing the social distancing thing. We're, we're staying six feet apart. We got the Lysol wipes, you know, we're cleaning everything down. We got hand sanitizer. If you want to come and do it in person in the backyard, um, come on over, you know? And so I was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds pretty safe. So, um, I was getting ready to drive over there. And then I was like, I was kind of thinking about riding my bike anyway. Like I don't, I'm not like a much of a bike rider. Like the bike I have is like a hundred dollars from Walmart. It's like a kid's bike. Yeah. But I was thinking about taking, I was thinking about taking it around and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just see how far his house is and I'll, I'll ride my bike over there. And I looked it up and it said 13 miles away, which seemed like a lot, but also doable. So I left real early, did the bike ride. It all went well. And then when we did the show, we got done with the show. We had a, a few beers and I had probably too many beers, and then I actually had to end up calling my wife, and she had to come with the SUV to pick up the bike. <laughs> That's so, my favorite part of the story. Hey, you know what? You started with really good intentions, though. Like, you know, you figured you'd get a workout in, and then you were all safe in the backyard, and you got to see your boys a little bit, which I'm really envious over. Because, like, I could do the backyard thing. I could have people come and meet me, but at this point, I have just committed to the PJ's lifestyle. Like mm -hmm. if you were to see me right now, it's not, it's not a good look. It's, it's not something people really want to see, but you know, I'm living my best life, my best quarantine life right now. I, I kind of, I'm kind of the same. Like I've, I've really committed, like I've, I've been thinking about golf, you know, and I would <laughs> yeah. love, I would love to go out and get on the golf course. And I'm thinking to myself, like, it's probably doable. You know, I, I mean, you go out and, and you're not like touching other people's clubs, you know, you don't, you don't shake hands. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, an individual game and you're out in the open. So it's probably safe, but I almost think like now I've just committed so hard to the quarantine in my head that I'm just like, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm not going to go anywhere. I don't know why yesterday, I, I guess it's just because they invited me on the show and they really wanted me to come over and I wanted to ride my bike anyway. But for the most part, yeah, I'm like you, I'm just like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to commit to this thing and not go anywhere and spend literally 24 hours a day in my house. So I feel you. Yeah, but you needed it, Brett. You were losing it. You need, you I was losing it. As we, were setting up, <laughs> as we were setting up this, uh, this, this, uh, this interview, I think you could tell that I was getting a little weirder every day. So yeah, now I'm feeling, I'm feeling normal after having some, some human contact. Last well, time. damn, I kind of wanted to get weird Brett on the show, but that's okay. <laughs> normal Brett is still awesome. <laughs> So what you guys don't know about Brett is that he's basically been a journalist his entire professional career, and he also produced the 30 for 30 on Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz last year, and we're going to get into that later in the show. But let's start with the basics, though. Like, What does uh, your typical work schedule look like? Um, <clears throat> I mean, typically, I, I wake up, I make myself a cup of coffee, and I go to my office, which is in my home. I live in Las Vegas. 
Um, ESPN is headquartered out of Bristol, Connecticut, as I'm sure a lot of people know, but the UFC is headquartered right here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was living before I started working at ESPN. And so there really would be no reason for me at all to move, move to the East Coast. I mean, a lot of the fights are obviously here in Vegas. I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to cover some big boxing matches as well. Um, and the UFC, you know, they, they end up having just, just random, you know, media days. And, and obviously if, if, if something big happens, um, there's, there's the possibility and the potential of me grabbing, you know, Dana White and, and being in close contact with, with him and, and fighters are constantly coming through here to, 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 uh, to train at the performance Institute and, you know, just to see UFC executives talk about their contracts, that kind of thing. So this is actually the perfect spot for me to be. Um, but there's no office here for me. So I work from home, which you, you would think would make me a little bit more immune to this quarantine, but, uh, no. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I never realized how much I needed that like quick trip to the gym or just like a quick trip to the bar to see my, my friends. Like I, I could end up spending 80% of my day at home, but I didn't realize how important that 20% was until I didn't have it anymore. Yes. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, most of my day is just calling people, talking to them. You know, I, I want to get the most comprehensive, behind the scenes, most well-educated opinion and outlook on this sport as possible. You know, and and that's that's that basically requires, you know, talking to people about everything when it comes to you know the contracts, the fights that they may or may not take, um, you know, what they're doing in their training, um, just just the conversations that that are going on around the sport. I mean, it's 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 like I've been doing this for 11 years, but I'm, I'm still constantly learning things about about every aspect of this sport. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's just reporting, you know, it's reporting on things and, and there's a lot of travel involved. There's obviously live, live fight coverage, but you know, the live event coverage is just that one day. It's that Saturday. And then, and then everything else is, is really what, what, um, what makes up the, the majority of the job. Do I, have I seen you at any of the UFC media days? Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I believe you were sitting behind me when I did sort of an awkward Instagram live because I pulled out my Instagram live and I was, I was gonna do the live <laughs> stare downs, no. and like everybody was sitting there and we were waiting for the fighters to come out and I'm like, oh, okay, so I'll start an Instagram live and show the stare downs and then like, it took 20 minutes for the fighters just to square off. Because oh my god, I, that was you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think Dana White wasn't there yet, so I'm just like, well, I could stop this Instagram live and then restart it when they come, but they're going to come soon, right? And so then I just started talking about nonsense for 20 minutes, and um, but it, it ended up being okay, you know. It, it's it's like we brought in some guests, we talked to the other journalists that were there, and then the fighters eventually did square off. But yes, that was me, and yeah, I think you were sitting right behind me when. when but had it. <laughs> this is the first we're talking about this guys how did you figure out that it was me um well i just recognized you because like as as i was selfieing it like you were very visible you were sitting right behind me no i and intentionally so- like i was like waving i was like being an, a, a jackass about it because i was like you know we were waiting forever and i figured you would turn around and be like oh hey and by the way guys we had not met at this point i didn't know who you were mm. But you mm. just completely ignored me. So I was like, all right, I'll let this guy do his live. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't want to put you on the spot. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. Did, did I offend you? Did we, did we get off on the wrong foot? I didn't even know it. No, I, I mean, not I was, even. I was just being, um, I mean, I was just being an awkward jackass. Like you said, I mean, you were being a jackass in the back. I was being a jackass and it was my own live Instagram. I was like, the guys, the fighters are coming, guys. I promise they are coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, it took forever. We were waiting on Dana, huh? I think so. Yeah. I mean, usually, usually if, if you're waiting on something, it's either you're waiting on uh, Dana or Connor or potentially one of the other, you know, bigger names, but uh, usually it's, it's, it's going to be Dana. Yeah. We well, the fighters would have already been there for media day. So it must've been Dana. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, see, so guys, Brett and I have not met in person or I guess we did, but not really. And so, um, I'll probably see you at the next media day. That'll be interesting. Yeah. I think I can't wait for that. I am dying for a media day. (laughs) I'm dying for anything. I'm dying for, for, yeah, some type of, of 
yeah, media day sounds great. I will see you You're there. Like, yeah, give me anything. All right, guys. So here on the Jana Ben Show, we get into my guest professional stories, you know, sharing with you guys how these people achieve success. Um, Brett, what you'd consider your biggest achievement, your biggest failure, lessons learned, where you're headed, insights for the listeners. So all kinds of cool stuff about your career. So what I try to provide is some sort of insight and um, like a look into your life to see how you did it and, you know, allow people to learn from you. So let's go way back in time. Give us a little bit of background on where you're from and where you grew up and what you were like as a kid. Okay. Um, (laughs) I grew up in, uh, in a town just outside of Cleveland, Ohio, but I say I'm from Colorado because I moved to Colorado when I was 15. So I went so for high school and college, I was in Colorado, and um, I mean, my whole family moved with me, and that's where I've, that's where you know, a lot of like my lifelong friends that I still talk to today, they're still in Colorado. So that's what I call home. But when I was a kid, I was living outside of Cleveland, and um, I was really athletic. I, I mean, I I just loved sports. I was I was uh, obsessed with them. You know, I everything revolved around sports. You know, I, I went to school and school was okay, whatever, you know, I was, I was like relatively social. I liked hanging out at school, but I was just counting down the hours until like baseball practice, you know, or, mm. or, uh, you know, when the soccer game started. So I loved, loved sports at, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember. And then in fifth grade, um, my English teacher at the time encouraged me to enter this, uh, this, this fiction writing contest. And it was actually pretty cool. I don't know if they, they do this in every state. I hope they do. Cause it was, it was very, very cool, but it was, um, it was statewide. I mean, it was a pretty big thing. And you wrote like short stories. You, you went into a classroom, you were given like 30 minutes and you were given like a theme or a topic to go off of. And then you could just write whatever, whatever came to mind. And, uh, and I actually won, like I won, um, the entire thing for the state. And wow. that was when, that was when I decided that like, I should combine these two. I should combine my love for sports. And, um, it seems like I'm good at writing and I really enjoy it. So in the I fifth just, grade, you figured out what you wanted to do with your life. I was just really lucky. I was really, Oh fortunate. my God. So lucky. I, I knew from that point on, like I, I started to get, um, I had my parents get me sports illustrated and I knew exactly what day it came. Like I would go out to the mailbox, get Sports Illustrated. Rick Riley was on the back page. He wrote a column every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my guy. So I'd flip to the back, read his column, and then I would just read it cover to cover. Like I loved Sports Illustrated. When I was growing up, I was convinced that I was going to be writing for Sports Illustrated. And um, like I said, the reason that I'm so lucky is that it just gave me like a clear path of what to work towards like my entire life. You know, when I was in college, I knew that I needed to work for the college paper. When I was in high school, I worked for the high school paper. Like I, I uh, introduced myself to some reporters that worked at like the local newspaper in Fort Collins, where uh, where Colorado State is. That's where I went to college, just mm-hmm. to like get to know them. And and then then they gave me some internships. And so, like that's why I say why I'm so lucky. I mean, I'm lucky that. I, I have a passion in life and that I, I knew about it, but I was also lucky that I found it so early because it just allowed me to, to work towards it, you know, and, and, um, mm-hmm. no, and, super and, and that's part of my success. Yeah. It's because I just always knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. So like, what did mom and dad think of this at such a young age? Uh, I, I mean, they were all for it. Yeah. I mean, my mom is, is like the sweetest lady you've ever met. She would have been in favor mm-hmm. of anything that I did. And my dad, um, He's like, okay, cool. <laughs> he was indifferent to it, <laughs> you know. He was like one of those those dads that was like off doing his own thing. He was, uh, he was working, um, you know, building houses, and uh, he was. My dad is like your typical like, uh, like always trying to impress my dad, but it's never quite good enough. So that's another thing that mm. probably drove me a little bit is that uh, always trying to impress my dad, you know. And now that you've achieved this level of success, did you finally get that kudos you were looking for? Nah, but I stopped caring about it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I'm kidding. I'm the kidding. rest of the world validates me. I'm kidding. My dad is great. He's a great father, but he uh, he definitely set that bar. Like he was one of those dads. You know those types of dads that they're just yeah. like, nope, you got to do better. You got to do better. Like like uh, go four for four baseball game, hit a home run. Like oh, but you know you should have you missed that like ground ball, you know, or, or something like that. So that's my dad. And does your mom work? 
or did she? Yeah, my mom works at, at Colorado State, actually. Okay. So, oh, that's sweet. That's like the like sweetest American family, you know? <laughs> I know. It is really sweet. When I, was in, when I was in college, you know, she worked on campus. So when I was a poor college kid at Colorado State, I'd call up my mommy and be like, hey, mom, what are you doing for lunch today? And she would, you know, take me out to restaurants so I could eat real food and not eat ramen every day. So. <laughs> That's so cute. Shout out to mom and shout out to my mom who just baked an apple pie, but not in like one of those round pie pans, but in like a, like a full, I don't know what you call them, but like the big bake pans. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's like I, two I saw pies. That, on Instagram. that was like the most legitimate apple pie I've ever seen. <laughs> Super homemade and not overly filled with apples because I don't like it when there's like too much apple. There's got to be like a 50% ratio between the crust and the apple filling. And wow. she, she crushed it. Listen how picky it. you are about apple pie. But listen, I just know the right way to do things. That's true. <laughs> I've gathered a lot of intel on the matter. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. So back to you and your career. Now, starting out as a journalist working at a newspaper, what was that like? Because no disrespect, but it sounds very boring. You mean when I would like, like my first actual job? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, no disrespect taken. It is pretty, it, it can be boring. It can be, but I got really lucky because, you know, when I, when I graduated college, I, um, I was really looking for anything. I mean, I, I, I moved back home with my parents temporarily just until like, I figured out what I wanted to do. Cause I didn't want to like sign a lease somewhere and, and you know, what, what am I going to be doing? Like, like that's the one thing about a newspaper is like, it's like you kind of got to go wherever, wherever they're hiring you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I applied to literally everywhere. Like I can still, to this day, I'll never forget it. Like I, I actually applied to somewhere in like, like this small town in Idaho and uh, like this small town. in I think it was North Dakota. And not that there's anything wrong with those states, of course, uh, you know, I'm sure they're beautiful, but I was just thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to move to this, like out of this middle of nowhere town in Idaho where I don't know anybody and cover like high school sports, but I was willing to do that because like, that's, that's how this industry works. Or at least that's how I thought it worked at the time is that you have to like, just cut your teeth somewhere. You know, I have to go to a newspaper and show that I can be professional write professional stories and just, and just build out like my portfolio. So then I can keep applying other places and, and send them my work so mm -hmm. that they'll be like, okay, this kid's good. And then, then that's where I'll get hired somewhere else. But what ended up um, the first place that ended up taking me was, a, was a newspaper in Las Vegas. And what's crazy is that as everybody knows, newspapers are not doing great these days. You know I mean? They're certainly not yeah. booming in the way that, that they were when I was a kid. And I thought I, I would maybe write for, you know, a, a, a a big newspaper, they're struggling, you know, because of the internet and, and all the different ways to, uh, to get information. And, um, at the time, Las Vegas and still is, it's one of the only cities in the U S that has two newspapers. Like most cities just have one, but mm. Las Vegas still had two. And it just so happened that, um, the one that I got my job with was sort of like the smaller one. And, they, in order, because they weren't sort of like the, the household name or the bigger paper in, in, the, in the city, their focus was online. Like their, fo their, their whole focus was like, let's, let's try and get that online readership, which mm, was a great, smart. was a great move, you know, and, and that ended up being um, very beneficial to them that they were sort of on that early. So my first job was actually a lot of fun because I joined the Las Vegas Sun and because of their strategy and because of their uh, focus on like video content and web content, it was all young people. Like mm -hmm. I, I remember I was, I was on, I was on a floor where like we had one floor of a building and there was no one in there that was over like the age of 33. I mean, it was all young people in their twenties. We had a room where there was like pinball machines and Xbox and it felt like just yes. an extension of my college newspaper. Yeah. And there's a lot of cool stuff to cover in Las Vegas. I mean, we didn't have a pro team at the time. But, um, you know, it wasn't like going to Idaho and covering the local high school team. I mean, I did cover high right. school sports, but they had, they had the rodeo would come through here, which is very random, but it's, you know, it was just, it was fun random. They had, uh, you know, um, NBA summer league would come through here an NBA preseason basketball game or 
like sh- like Shane Victorino, the outfielder for the uh, Phillies, they won the World Series, and then he lived here. You know, he there there are mm-hmm. some, there's a, quite a few professional baseball players that like to live here in the off season. And so after they won the the World Series, like that was one of my assignments was I got in contact with Shane Victorino and I went to like his his World Series celebration. Like Vegas is just a fun place to be covering stuff, you know. Okay, so, so yeah, so you have got to. I'm sure you've developed some friendships with these guys. Like some from the stories you've covered, the relationships you've developed, right? Tell me you've met you you're like best friends with someone really dope. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I'm best friends uh with, with with someone really dope, but um yeah, I mean Shane like to finish that story, Shane and I still talk. In fact, I just um I just told him the other day, like like he had posted something on Instagram of him golfing and I was like, Oh dude, I didn't know you really liked liked to golf. Let's get out on the golf course. And actually just recently um, Carlos Correa, the shortstop for the, uh, the Houston Astros, he is a massive fight fan. Mm. And so, uh, so he hit me up. And then when I was in, when I was in Houston to cover the John Jones fight, the Dominic Reyes fight, we met up, he, uh, he, he took me to dinner and then he actually, it was the coolest thing ever. We went to his, his, uh, well, we went to a batting cage that was at old dominion, um, university. And I, I hit balls with him, which was surreal. Nice. Okay. So how does this work? Cause I know that, and we're kind of jumping all around, but I'm curious to know what your relationship is like with Ariel Helwani, who also works for ESPN and covers a lot of MMA stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're colleagues. Uh, Ariel and I have known each other for a really long time. I mean, I, I consider myself an OG, like you said at, at the beginning. Um, I'm pretty sure Ariel was covering before I was, I mean, mm. he was another, he was another one who, um, it sounds like he, he knew what he wanted to do at a young age. And, uh, he, he was, I think he was a bigger fight fan than I was in the beginning. You know, when I started my career, I kind of thought that I'd be covering, you know, baseball, football, basketball, like those were my favorite sports. Ariel was, was a big fight fan. I mean, he was, he was kind of doing his own thing, even when, um, even when, uh, you know, he, he wasn't uh, working for like a media company. I mean, he loved fighting so much that I think he was kind of like, you know, running it on his own, essentially. Mm, mm-hmm. so, so he and I have known each other for a really long time. And um, our relationship is is unique in that, you know, for a long time, um, we were competitors, you know, and right. now he's now he's at ESPN. And I, I have a, a tremendous admiration for, for what he does. I know that he's very good at what he does. Uh, you know, I, I think he feels the same way about me. And, uh, and I think we, we enjoy working together. You know, it's, it's, um, I think it's always interesting when you have two people who are competitive and who are ambitious and mm. Ariel and I both are. And so, you know, we're both working for, for some of the similar things. Um, yeah. Just nat just naturally. Um, and I'll be honest, like in the beginning that, that took conversations and that took, you know, how, how are we, how are we splitting things up? You know, because it just doesn't make sense for us to, to, um, be competing with one another when we're now on the same team. So it was an adjustment for us for yeah. sure. But I think now it's, it's been, uh, it's been great. You know, he and I do a, uh, a show that I, I'm, I really have high hopes for, and I think it's great content. And it's, it's every Friday before the pay-per-views when the actual weigh-in happens. Like mm. one of the best times in a fight week is, is the actual weigh-in. You get to see these guys, just the, the physical and mental shape that they are, that they're in like right before the fight and they're stepping on the scale. And Ariel and I go for two hours that on, on the morning of that and that's not easy to just sit there the two of you and, and find things to talk about for two no, hours God, no. <laughs> but, uh, but we have a lot of fun with it and uh, i think espn likes it and it's it's it streams on espn plus and and hopefully it's it's something that takes off a little bit because i have a lot of fun doing it i think it's uh i think it's something fun that ariel and i do together i love that i'll have to check it out will you give me a heads up the next time it's on yeah so you know what i find interesting like you have a great personality. You have an excellent voice. You, you're like a, a pro at this and you've been so incredible and supportive of my journey. Um, I think what's interesting about the majority of the reporters that I've met or journalists or whatever you want to call them is that they're, there's almost like, um, like a formula to, uh, to how you present. Like I'm bringing this up because I know that I am not that way. I am just, I am me, you know, (laughs) I'm a little bit more um, bubbly and I insert my opinions and I ask random questions that the people want to hear the answers to, you know, and it doesn't necessarily like fit the mold. Um, And I'm curious actually to get your opinion on whether you think that's going to help or hinder my career. I mean, I think it's going to help if you, if you, if you continue with 
with MMA coverage, I think it'll help because it's not impossible to to come in to the MMA space and and carve out um, a I guess a role or like a following or a job um, in this space. I mean, it's certainly not impossible. I mean, nothing is impossible when it comes to any industry, but it's, it's, it's going to be challenging, you know, because, um, because, because there are some established people who are doing it. So, so just coming in and trying to do sort of the same thing is, is going to be very, very challenging. I mean, even if you're very good at it, it's going to be challenging just because I wouldn't say that it's, it's a, it's a crowded market because I mean, you look at, you look at like, the amount of, of NFL media, I mean, MMA media is, is nothing compared to the amount of resources that go in the NFL. But um, I would say that it's crowded just from the sense of it, it is, it's going to be hard to, to, to generate a following if you're kind of, kind of doing the same things that, that we're doing. So I think by you coming in and, and, you know, I think I mentioned this to you um, when we were talking before the, sh- before the show is, is that uh, I, I noticed that you did ask, you know, some of the fighters, some, some dating questions or some, you know, just some, some personal life questions and especially on something like a media day, I think that they're going not, not only will, will viewers potentially appreciate that, but I think the fighters do too. I mean, I can mm-hmm. read it in their eyes sometimes, man, that they are just so like they're cutting weight and they're so sick of answering the same questions over and over right. again. And I, I try to take that into account and I really try to make um, the questions that I ask them different, but there are some things that you just have to ask them about right. a fight that's coming up, you know, and they know that and they're, they're agreeable to it. They're not mean about it, but you can just tell that they're, they're not excited about it. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, first off, what's, what's everybody's, um, advice, be yourself, right? So mm-hmm. don't try to be something you're not. So if you are, are bubbly and you want to, uh, conduct an interview in that way, then you should do it anyway. But I would say that, yeah, it'll, it'll probably serve you well just because it's different. I mean, and I was actually just having this conversation with some ESPN editors the other day. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't hurt that you're a female. I think that there are not enough females covering mixed martial arts. I think that it could bring a very new viewpoint to it. I think it could bring a, a different responses out of fighters, both male and female. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm talking to a female fighter and I wonder if their answers would be different if, if you know, they were talking to a female or just my line of questioning would be different because there are certain things that you understand that, that I just don't, you know? So I think that'll help you too, is that this, this space is kind of starved for, for some female reporters. I definitely feel like because I bring the female energy to the mix, I get more time and more openness from the fighters. Because if you do what, what you enjoy doing, um, you're going to work harder at it. It's just going to, it's just, you're naturally going to work a lot harder at something that you enjoy doing. And then through, through the hard work and hopefully you picked something that you're talented at and that you have, you know, some ability in, then the money's going to come, you know, and that, that's, I don't know why that popped in my head, but it's just when people start to talk about, well, yeah. you know, I, I want a certain finances or whatever. It's like, man, you'd be surprised when I got into, um, journalism, I did not get it in, into it for the money, you know, but I found that the money has been steady for me just because I haven't had to think about it. I haven't had to think about it. I haven't had to, to, to fight for it because I'm just like, I want to do my work, you know? And mm-hmm. so with that naturally comes, comes financial opportunities. I think that's great advice. And another thing that um, I typically ask my guests and they range from like fighters to uh, execs, and everyone says the same thing. Like you got to work for free, you know, don't be concerned about, I remember Gabriel Rosado was talking about how, um, you know, like big fighters will get kind of like the newer guys to spar with them and they pay them a few hundred bucks and he did it for free. I don't remember who he did it with, but he did it for free with this guy who ended up mentoring him throughout his career. Um, and then he's had guys come to him and be like, you know, that he wanted to spar with and, and they were like, well, here's my rate. And, and it's just, it's like, he's like, you know, not only was I turned off, it's just so like short-sighted of them because I could have been to them what that guy was to me. And that's how internships work. And, you know, you know that more than anyone because, you know, you really, you paid your dues. So your first internship was what, during college? Uh Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did a couple inter- internships in college, mostly with uh, small newspapers. And then the big one was I got an internship with Sports Illustrated, the place that I always wanted to work at when <laughs> I was a kid. 
I got an internship to go uh, work with them over the summer. So I lived in New York for three months right out of college and did the internship there. And then I would have loved to stay, obviously, and gotten a job there. But uh, they didn't have any positions. And I don't know if you knew this, Jenna, but it is not cheap to live in New York. So I had to go back (laughs) to Colorado right after. Yeah. Am I saying it wrong when I pronounce it Colorado? Because you say Colorado. You're saying like Colorado? Colorado? Colorado. I mean, when you say it quickly, I guess I don't notice it. But yeah, I think it's more of a ra, right? Colorado? Colorado? You say ra. I say ra. Well, now you're bringing it up and now I don't even know how to say it. And it's my home state. Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> I think the way you say it is authentic to the people that live there. But my my ear hears it as Colorado, or maybe that's that's my perspective on how it should be pronounced. That's so funny. You know, what everyone we should else do? is going to Colorado. Yeah, Rado. I've 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 heard that before. Colorado. No, we're going to do a little video and 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 put it out on Instagram and let the people vote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess now that you mention it, I've heard both Colorado, Colorado. I'm a rad guy, though. Yeah, I'm definitely. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I got to defer to you. You actually live there, so. Yeah. Okay, so when you were interning at Sports Illustrated, did you get to meet any of the babes on the cover? <laughs> well, I mean, no, because uh, you're talking about the swimsuit issue, obviously. It's, it's yeah. crazy. The, the swimsuit issue is like its its own thing. I mean, they they are not even they're not even really working from the same offices. At least they weren't when I was there, uh, you know. And they're like their budget is so huge, and and they're like, you know traveling all over the world. It's not like the uh, the models are coming in. Uh, to hang out at the uh, at the at the the news offices. However, I did make friends with a lot of people at Sports Illustrated, obviously, and um, I didn't even know this, but uh, when every year when the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition comes out, they have a party in Las Vegas, and so mm-hmm. when I I left I left New York, you know, left the internship, ended up getting a job in Las Vegas, moved to Las Vegas. I was like twenty three and uh and then i saw that they were having the swimsuit issue launch at uh, at the luxor and so i called up one of my my editor buddies and he's like oh yeah dude i'm here i'm in vegas like come 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 over to the uh to the launch party <laughs> so like within a month of living in las vegas i went there and that and every model that was in that it was in the addition of tens so i got to meet all of them so yeah that was a nice perk I'm sure that was nice. Did you have you um, dated within your industry at all? Uh, no, never done that. So, what does your wife do, and how long have you been married? Well, that's one reason why I've never dated within my industry because I've been with my wife for a long time. I mean, we broke up a little bit because she went to Colorado State too, and she's two years younger than me. So we were kind of doing a long distance thing, and and we were you know still talking, but but not necessarily completely serious um but i've i've been sort of with her on and off since since college so and she does uh she does financial planning out here in vegas damn you started really young because okay so you're 34 right yep see this shocks me in the day in, in like the times that we live in you know where where people can't even stay together for longer than two months i'm like wow he really did it. He really figured it out. So you got married at an age where honestly people change year to year. So have you found like that you guys have had hurdles in terms of growing in the same direction or potentially not? Or is everything just cool? Yeah, well, because well, we didn't get married like uh, obviously, you know, immediately. So we we dated in college. Um, and then, you know, then we had that sort of time period, you know, where she was still in college. I wasn't in college anymore. And like I said, we were still close. We still spoke, but I think that's, that's, um, you know, a reason of of like our, our relationship is extremely healthy just because we have been together for a long time, but we did give each other a little bit of space to sort of, you know, grow up and experience life and and all that. And then, and then, um, it just like, you know, after, after doing that, we were still like, no, I mean, that's what we want is, is each other, you know? So it Mm -hmm. it worked out. I mean, it's, we've had a very, very, very healthy relationship because I think we had those sort of growth years of growth that, you know, where we were kind of together, kind of not, we can still do our own thing. Okay. Since this isn't like a dating show, but I really want to know, give us single folks three 
pieces of advice on um, sustaining a healthy relationship. And that can be, you know, in terms of like how you argue or um, uh, the nagging or whatever it is. Three pieces of advice. Go. Man, um, (laughs) this is going to sound so... um, God, this is going to sound so arrogant, Jenna. But um, Bring it. Oh, man. I, I think like number one, pick the right person. Don't, don't rush into something. I mean, there's so many people who are like, like feel like they got to get married like immediately, you know? And, and like, I have nothing yeah. against people who get married after they've only known each other for a while because maybe they really, really do know. But I guess what is, what, what is the rush? Like I, I know we didn't, my wife and I have never rushed into anything, you know? And so now it's like, I got to be honest, we don't fight very much. I mean, we have, we have a great relationship and I think that's just because we, we, we did it right. We picked the right person. So that would be advice. Number one is to pick the right person and don't, don't worry about, uh, you know, making it happen so fast that, that now all of a sudden you're stuck with the wrong person because that's hard to come back from. So that would be number one. And I guess number two would be obvious cliche stuff. You know, I mean, don't get too emotional about fights. If you do fight, I mean, it's all better by tomorrow most of the time, right? So I, I'm one of those people who get kind of intense, so I need to remind myself that, like, just just chill out, Brett, calm down, you know? Mm. And uh, and yeah, usually if you do that, you know, you come back in an hour, and 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 it's it's a lot better, at least in my experience, it is. Interesting. Okay. And your final piece of advice for the single folks out there, and it doesn't have <laughs> to be related to your marriage, but just looking at what's going on in these times, what, I mean, what are your thoughts? I don't know, man. I haven't been single for a while, Jenna. So I don't, I don't really know what the the advice would be. Um, stay positive, man. I'm I'm a big, (laughs) I'm a big believer in, uh, in positive thinking. You know, I'm not really a believer in like superstitious or like even karma or anything like that, but I do believe and the power of the mind and positivity. And if you are believe good things will happen, then they tend to. And if you believe bad things will happen, then they tend to. So I don't okay, know if I, I dodged your question, but that's that's advice. You did a little bit, but that's okay because that brings me to my next question. How do you not believe in karma? I don't know. I just, uh, I guess, I don't know. I just hmm. don't. It's interesting that you don't because you're talking about the power of thoughts and the power of energy. And energy. Well, maybe it's not so much energy. Maybe it's just, it's just like, like the power of the mind, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, like I believe you can will things to happen. And, and, uh, like the most simple thing I can, I can, I can boil it down to is like, I have learned that, um, the difference between me making a free throw and missing a free throw is, is whether I truly believe I'm going to make it or not. That's it. Because a, a free throw on a basketball court is very simple. It's, it's like a very easy thing. And if I, if I feel good and I feel positive and I'm standing at the line and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make this, this is easy. I always make it. Stop. And then if I'm always a hundred percent of the time. Yes, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> close to a hundred percent. I mean, nineties, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, but then, mm-hmm. but then other times I'll be standing there and just for whatever reason, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make this or not. And then I usually miss it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. Power of the mind. It's so important. How do you how do you develop a strong mind? It's like it requires um, like so much faith in yourself, right? Because you truly have to believe in order to have that confidence to deliver. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you develop it. I mean, I think I am like a lot of people. Mine's, mine's hit and miss. You know, sometimes I feel great and I'm, I'm going to hit the free throw and I will hit 10 of 10 on a, on a rec game. And then the next day, maybe <laughs> I'm distracted. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I had a bad day at work. Maybe I had an interview that I thought was going to go real well, and then it didn't go as well as I had hoped. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, you're not as cool as you think you are, Brett. And then I, I make like three free throws out of ten. You know, I, I think mm. it's uh, it's what a lot of people deal with, like, um, you know, trying to be positive. It's not easy always. I really want to get into the mind of Tony Robbins or guys like him, you know, who, of course, they present a certain way because that's their career and they have to be that positive guy who always wins. Um, But, you know, there's there's something to mental strength equating to success. You know? Yeah, well, it's a complicated thing. I mean, you can't just say like, oh, okay, I'm going to be positive 100% of the time. (laughs) You know, like, that's just, that's not life. But um, 
I mean, I, I, I try to, I try to use positive thinking in my life and I find that it, it helps me, you know, and it's not always possible. Like sometimes you mm-hmm. just, you, your brain doesn't allow it, but I, I definitely try to keep it in mind. I never thought I would like stand in, in a shoot with, uh, cause I mean, they let the media like right down there. Like you can stand like right there on, on the dirt and, and you like, you can feel like, like how big that animal is. And, and you know, you're talking to the Cowboys who, by the way, like most of them are just like super nice guys. I mean, super down to earth, laid back guys. And then like, like NASCAR too. I mean, um, getting to, 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 to go into like a, a pit and talk to the pit crew and the pit crews are like super interesting. I mean, most of them are, are a lot of them are like ex college football players who are just like, cause you, they have to be athletic and they have to be like these big guys, like, like, you know, they're jumping over the wall and it's like super hot and it smells like gas and they're they're lifting the car up and like like you would like you could do a whole thing on just a pit crew and that's mm-hmm. so that's what i would say is like some of the i can't come up with one story but i've just had a lot of cool experiences yeah know, it sounds like it and you get to meet people from all walks of life yeah yeah i mean i i think that's why i don't know i mean i was just i was just like like born to to, to be a sports reporter because i'm naturally curious i like telling people stories I, um, I wouldn't say I'm like, like the biggest people person in terms of like life of the party, but like, I, I'm the type of guy who, who will sit there and ask questions about someone else's life just cause I find that interesting. You know, right. like I, I, I like to listen more than I like to talk usually. So, um, yeah, getting to be around to, to go to all these different, um, you know, environments and, and check them out and just be, be inquisitive and, and ask about it has been a lot of fun. Hmm. Okay. And so now, since you've been with ESPN, you've been there for a long time. You've experienced quite a bit and you've gotten to do a lot of cool things. So what would you say is your biggest achievement in life? And that may very well be, you know, making it to the, to the degree of success that you are today. Mm. Biggest success in life. (sighs) I mean, there are a few different ways to answer it. You know, I, I, there, there's a good feeling when, um, when you interview an athlete or you, you know, an athlete or someone around them, like a family member or a coach or something, and you realize that you've earned their respect and that, and that you have, you have done the work correctly and you have gone the extra mile and, and you've shown the level of interest to tell their story really accurately. Because I think, I think it, it, like in this, in this day, a lot of times, I mean, I'm not saying that the people get stories wrong, but they're just like, we want our information like so quick and we're just so yeah. like, like we're Twitter based these days, you know, like we, we don't get very much in depth, unfortunately. And that's something that like I've had to come to terms with in my career is that um, the sports illustrated form of writing that I fell in love with as a kid, like that, that, that that's not a huge part of my job, to be honest. And when it is, I really enjoy it. You know, like mm. when I get to write a long feature on Jorge Masvidal, or Sean O'Malley, or Tatiana Suarez, or someone like that. Like, I really love doing it, because it lets me dive into just one person, it lets me dive into that story. So that, that's, that's always a really rewarding thing, is when you can, you can feel it from the subject, is that they know that even if, you know, you told the story in a way that maybe they wouldn't have, or they would have, they would have said some things a little differently, that, that you've earned their respect, and that, that they think that you have a good grasp of the story that you're telling, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is a really rewarding feeling to me. And, um, and, and to give like a, I guess a specific example, the other one would be a 30 for 30. I mean, that was, that was a lot of fun. I invested a lot of hours into it yeah. and, um, I never really like, of course I would always be open to working on a, on a documentary, but I never thought that it would be all of a sudden that I was a producer on, on a, a full length feature film and, and 30 for 30 is like the pinnacle of, I think of, of, of sports documentaries. So just to have an opportunity to work on a project like that and to have the role that I had in it. And that was, that was super rewarding. So like, I'll, I'll look yeah. back on, you know, years and years and years from now and watch that film and, and feel very proud of it. Okay. So first tell us what it is and then tell us how you develop the opportunity to produce it. Um, so the 30 for 30 was a, a feature length film on, on Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. And uh, I think most people are probably hopefully familiar with the brand 30 for 30, but it's, it's, um, it's just the, uh, it's, it's a department of ESPN films and, um, you know, they're, they're well known for going back and telling sort of historic stories. And the way it came up was, was crazy. 
I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Like getting getting um, a 30 for 30 idea pushed across and getting ESPN to uh, green light it and pay for it. I mean, they're, that's that's tough to do. I mean, they have a lot of pitches from a lot of talented people and there's, there's obviously a million topics out there, but um, you know, we were fortunate in that I think ESPN really wanted one on mixed martial arts. I mean, they were, they were getting more involved obviously in covering it. And, um, and now of course fights are on ESPN and, uh, and they looked at their archives and they said, you know, we've never had a 30 for 30 on mixed martial arts. And so I think that they were just naturally, uh, looking for something that was related to the sport. Mm. And I met a uh, film director through a mutual friend. It was actually the film director's brother-in-law is a friend of mine who works at ESPN. And uh, that guy told the director like, Hey, you and Brett should talk. And the director's name is Micah Brown. And uh, they're like, Hey, you got, you guys should, uh, you guys should just, you know, get on, get on the phone together. And, um, and and talk ideas and so we did and uh one of the ideas that i told the guy about was i was like man chuck liddell and tito ortiz are about to fight for the third time and you know they're 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 in their their 40s they're well well past their prime chuck Mm -hmm. hasn't fought in years i think it could be interesting to to go to to espn and say hey you know we'll uh we'll get access to them and you know maybe we could do a little web series for espn and michael loved the idea and um, so we took the ESPN and they were like, we really like this idea, but why don't we do it more of a historical and uh, and make it a 30 for 30? So really, we went in just pitching them, you know, a, a small kind of web series. And then it ended up turning into a full film. Mm, that's so cool. What was your greatest experience from that? I mean, I conducted a lot of the interviews. So just um, just traveling around and sitting in people's living rooms and, and talking about you know, uh, the old days was, was a lot of fun. I mean, I was, I was at the third, the third fight. Um, and you know, we were, we were geared up and filming them and, and, uh, and that was exciting. I mean, the whole thing was exciting really. I mean, I, I drove out to Chuck's mom's house. She lives out in the middle of nowhere, like literally the middle of nowhere in Arizona. (laughs) I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even like describe it to you. She had no neighbors within miles and miles and miles. I mean, it's just out, out in the middle of the desert and she was the sweetest woman. And we talked about, you know, Chuck growing up and there were nights where, uh, you know, Micah's studio is based in Lawrence, Kansas, actually of all places. And so I flew to Kansas and we'd sit up all night on a whiteboard and, and walk through the, uh, the script of the story and where it was going to go and, and, you know, putting it together. Like the whole thing was just, uh, I mean, it all was fun. Every piece of it was fun. So did you create the script after you got all the content? Just kind of like seeing, well, this is what we have. Where do we take it? Yeah. Yeah. I got to give Micah credit for that because, you know, we had, I think we interviewed like 36 people. We probably had, I don't even, hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours <laughs> of interview footage, footage where we were following Chuck and Tito around before their third fight, footage of their third fight footage of them training for their third fight. And then obviously hundreds and hundreds of hours of archive stuff, you know, um, old, old video, like home videos of these guys, their fights, you know, um, promotional material, press conferences. I mean, we had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of material and we all knew kind of what the story was going to look like, but having to sit down and just type it out, was a massive undertaking. And I think Micah was like kind of looking around and was like, all right, we, we can we collaborate on this? But it really is like, you're going to write, sit down and write a script. Like it kind of has to be one man driving it, you know, otherwise mm-hmm. there's just too many yeah. cooks in the kitchen. So yeah, I give him a lot of credit. He, 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 uh, he hammered out a script and then we revised it about a billion times, but, but he put the framework of it together. So was it, were you one of the people that had to sit through those hundreds of hours of footage and like pull clips? No, no. I mean, um, you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you get you get editors for that, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't, um, I don't envy the 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 guys who who went through that process because because yeah, there's a lot of stuff to go through. Okay, so that's pretty damn cool. Did that? Did producing the um, thirty for thirty uh, create any opportunities for you in that lane? Uh, I hope it will. You know, I mean that that came out at the end of. Um, yeah, when was that? That was the end of last year. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it debuted. Um, I want to say October of last year, 
So it hasn't been too long since then, but, but yeah, I mean, I've, I, uh, I, I really, really would like to be involved in more documentaries and I think I will. I mean, it has opened the door in terms of just, I've had some conversations with some people, but, um, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to, uh, to pitch it to a network and get it green lit. You know, I mean, there's just so many, so many different people trying to do so many different, um, documentary type projects that it's a competitive landscape, but yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful I can be involved in another one. I have a feeling you will. You're 34 years old. You've already created this huge name for yourself in the in the MMA arena, and um, I, I think we're going to see you doing a lot of big things. But you got to put yourself out there, Brett. You know, let it be known that this is what you want to do. Like, get 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 everyone on your social involved. <laughs> I hear you. It's good advice. Yep. We'll make okay. it happen. We'll make it happen. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I I think I will get be involved in another one before it's over. All right. Um, what would you say is your favorite interview of all time? Do you have one? Oh man. Um, and it, it, I bet you it's probably not going to be for like any type of obvious reason. Like, like we'd probably be like, Oh, the, you know, the biggest person you interviewed would be your favorite. Right. But I would imagine that this is probably something that came earlier in your career. Actually, I, I mean, the, the ones that come to mind are, are, are some of the bigger ones. And I don't know if that's just because, it, like, it is fun when you're doing something that you know a lot of people care about and that a lot of people talk about and that a lot of people, you know, uh, y- what you did in the conversation you had with someone then ends up being talked about and, and it spurs a lot of conversations. You know, like, like mm-hmm. one of the obvious ones that come to mind is that I, I, I got to interview Connor right after he fought Floyd Mayweather. And I mean, that, mm-hmm. that to me was, was a cool one, not only because of the magnitude of it, um, but because it was just so like, like when am I ever going to interview a huge star from MMA who just boxed for the first time? And he happened to box for the first time against the greatest boxer of our generation in a right. fight that was like, you know, a, a huge circus type thing. Okay. I mean, it was just, it's just like everything about that. I mean, to be able to walk into his locker room right after that happened and have a conversation with him, like that was, that was an incredible high, you know? And, and like I said, yeah, it, it is because it was on sports center and it was with Conor McGregor, but also it was just like, dude, I can't wait to talk to you about that. Like, like tell me about what just happened. You know, that, that was really exciting. Um, another one that comes to mind is, is Tony Ferguson. And I think that the, the reason that one comes to mind is he doesn't do a lot of interviews I don't think he really trusts a whole lot of media. And um, about two years ago, you know, he he uh, he he kind of just opened up to me, you know, and he he planned out a full a full day. I, I rode around in his car. We went um, we went uh-huh. hiking up this up this hill that he likes to take his son to. And then uh, we were in his gym, and he actually told me that he wouldn't in, he wouldn't let me interview him anymore unless I went through his workout with him, like actually did it with him. Wow. So you, so you had me and Tony doing um, like some weird stretches and uh, like 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 flexibility things. I mean, I wasn't hitting a bag or anything. It was more like he wanted to put me through like sort of his uh, his warm up process. So, and and he demanded that I did it, or else he wouldn't he wouldn't give me give me the interview. So that I mean, it's just so different. He sounds cool AF. I love that. Did you do the like the hip stretches where like you kind of you're on your hands and knees sort of, and then you like you lean down to the ground, like opening up your hips. Uh, yeah, yeah. We did a little bit of everything. I mean, Tony is, uh, Tony checks all the boxes and he's very, uh, he's very unique in his, uh, in his workout approaches. So we warmed up for about 30 minutes. Uh, we were doing quite a bit of stuff. So yeah, I'm familiar with the warm up process. I mean, I've only trained a couple of times, but I've had some pro fighters show me and it's kind of been pretty consistent across the board in terms of like yeah. how, how they all warm up. Um, okay. That's super cool. Now I'm more curious about Tony. So, all right. What would you say is like the coolest perk you've gotten as a result of working with ESPN aside from being able to work from home and get free stuff sent to you? And I'm sure you get to go to cool parties and like, what's it like? You know, being, being able to say that you work for ESPN, it's, it's, it just opens doors, you know, it it opens doors. It gets you into places. It's, um, you know, I mean, like like one example is uh, when when Jorge Masvidal went after Leon Edwards in the back of of an event last year in London. You know, and he punched him, 
Mm. And UFC PR kind of freaked out, and they let they like their thought was we got to pull Masvidal out of here, you know, and and they they put him in his locker room, and they're like Masvidal's not coming to the press conference because I think they they just didn't know how how they wanted to handle it, you know. I mean, it was mm. like they weren't sure if he was going to get in trouble if they were, if if you know they just wanted to diffuse the situation as much as possible and put him in his locker room, and you know, me being, um, I think you know my relationship with with you know Masvidal knows who I am, his manager Aiden knows who I am. And then even just being able to text Dana and say, you know, hey, I, you know, we're ESPN. I flew over here to London to see this fight. I got to get in the locker room and talk to this guy. He just, he just won, you know. And 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 Dana made it happen. And uh, and then I got to interview Jorge in his locker room, and that's where he dropped the famous line of three piece in a soda. So I, I think that the mm-hmm. biggest perk I get from working at ESPN is is just working for a very, very, very good well-respected company with a very big platform, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. that lets me do the work that I want to do. Have you established any close friendships with, with any of the fighters or do you believe that it's kind of a conflict of interest? Uh, I believe it's a conflict of interest. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible not to um, develop some, some good relationships, you know, where, where you talk to people about their personal life and you know about, you know, their family or, or whatever the case is. And, and, I am friendly with a lot of fighters, you know, and I think that's okay, but I don't really want to cross that line into, you know, saying that they're, they're personal friends of mine. I I think that, that, that would be, that would be, um, you know, a line that you just shouldn't cross. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you never want to be in a position where you're like hoping that one fighter wins or loses. And, and, you know, so yeah, I've just been very careful about that. You know, I, I, I like to I, I like to to know that, you know, there's a massive fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, right? Very, very big fight. Um, like two different teams, you know, two two very different um, individuals with, with different teams around them and, and so on and so forth. I like to think that they both have a good relationship with me. You know, they're they're about to get in, in a fight um, that's very that you know, that's very serious, it's a physical altercation it, 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 it a lot of money is on the line their careers are on the line it's a very personal thing to them right mm-hmm. and so it'd be easy for them to make make the entire thing personal but i like to think that i see habib and and he respects me and and knows that i'm unbiased i'm impartial i don't want yeah. him to win i don't want him to lose you know same yes. with tony I, that that to me is a good test to run to, to like by yourself to make sure that that i am kind of following the guidelines that i want to follow is that if i cover a fight both fighters are willing to talk to me afterwards because they, they didn't think that I'd pick the side. You know, I don't play favorites. I think right. that's really important. Smart. Okay. So before I let you go, Mr. Brett, I want to know what's next for you. Like, where do you see yourself uh, 10 years from now? 10 years from now? Um, huh. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm going to continue covering this sport, you know, and, and if, um, if the urge really comes to try to cover another sport, then I, I would pursue it. But right now, it's surprising. You know, one of the one of the biggest questions I actually get from people um, is that, like, hey, do you ever do you ever want to go cover another sport? And and mm-hmm. honestly, I, I kind of don't. I mean, I, I really enjoy, you know, being a a, a I, I consider myself an, an expert in, in the field that I'm in. You know, I really want to know everything about the field that I'm in. I want. I, I think that leads to the best coverage, you know, it leads yeah. to, to me doing the best job. And, and quite frankly, I like keeping my other sports just fun. You know, I, I, I haven't sat down and watched a fight with a beer in my hand just to have fun in, in forever, you know, and, that, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I can still enjoy it as I'm covering it, but I don't know if I'd want to do that to the, to my other sports, you know, like I, I like to sit down <laughs> and watch a baseball game. I don't want to sit, have to sit there and then think about what I'm going to write about it and, uh, and who I'm going to talk to, you know? Yeah. I like that approach. I think you're in a really good position, Brett. And I thank you for coming on the show. I'm glad we became friends. And I look forward to meeting you in person, um, likely either at the next UFC Media Day or when all of this clears up and I can just go ham in Vegas. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I cannot <laughs> wait for that day. Hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. I, uh, I cannot wait to see you. I cannot wait to get back to media days and to all the other journalists and the fighters and the UFC personnel, all of it. I, I am, I'm, I am counting down the days to it. <laughs> I love it. Brett Okamoto, uh, share with us your Instagram handle so people know how to find you. 
Uh, B, and then my last name, which sounds like it's tricky, but it's actually not. It's just exactly how it sounds. O-K-A-M-O-T-O, Okamoto ESPN. So B, Okamoto ESPN. Okay, perfect. And we'll tag you in our posts um, for show promo. Guys, you can find me at The Jenna Ben Show over on Instagram and on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you guys. We've been doing this show remotely. Hopefully you find the content as interesting as in-studio stuff. Um, We're on five times a week. First show airs uh, Pacific Standard Times on Tuesday at 8 p.m., Thursday at 9 a.m., Friday at 9 p.m., Saturday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m. Again, all Pacific Standard Times. You can go to my Instagram bio for a list of these times. Uh, We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh